Hey, y'all, welcome to the Ignite Impact Podcast. I am Tracy Purdy, and I believe that people are placed into our lives at every step in our life journey to be an integral part of our story. Here on the podcast, we will talk with individuals who are influencing, helping people grow, nurturing, inspiring, transforming the way people think, and enriching the world and the people around them. And we'll do the same for you. Join us to feel ignited for impact, encouraged, and inspired. Today, we are visiting with a dear friend of mine of 18 years that I have done so much life with. She's an author, a speaker, an entrepreneur, and a mentor. She was a top 10 sales director for one of the world's biggest direct sales brands and now uses her experience to empower women in so many different ways. She has written a best-selling book, Laughing Through the Ugly Cry, which landed her the ECPA Christian Book Award of New Author of the Year and is now releasing her second book, Midlife Battle Cry, on May 9th. While she's all of these things and so much more, she is also wife to Craig, mom to Ella and Mackenzie, and has four, almost five, grandbabies. I cannot wait for you to feel the love, encouragement, and joy that comes from getting to know Dawn Barton. Welcome, Dawn Barton. Thank you so much for stepping down out of your book writing, book touring, retreat creating, Trinity Living Cloud to come back down to Gulf Breeze to speak with us. Uh, It is my pleasure. Uh, You're making me sound a whole lot cooler than I am. (laughs) You are pretty popular, you know. Uh, We have done so much life together, much of it in a small group setting. And we've laughed, we've cried, we've seen each other through so many different seasons of life. One I will start with was us volunteering with the youth group at church. Adam and I weren't even married yet and needed friends. So we dove into helping with the youth. So to see this interview come full circle is super special to me. So thank you again. You know, that group, the funny thing about that group came to fruition. Our very first group where I would say some of the core friends of my life came from because Mm -hmm. right after I moved here. And my daughter, who was a teenager at the time in high school, she went to the youth group one night and she got a hold of Kelly. Yeah. And she told Kelly, will you drive me home and meet my mom? She doesn't have any friends. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how I got to me. Oh, I I had no friends. (laughs) I love that so much. I truly believe that friendships can get better with age. I mean, some friendships are just for a season But I think that some are for a lifetime. Either way, connections are so needed. What do you think are some key ingredients to a lasting, deep friendship? Well, if you want to be friends with me. (laughs) Which we all do. No, no, no. It's that you can't be the type of friend who needs to talk every single day. So Mm. for me, those friendships are women who probably are more secure that we truly have a blessing of a friendship. It's not one that we have to talk every single day. You and I don't talk every no, day. Yeah. Um, but I would consider you one of my dearest friends. And we have had a friendship of many, many years. I don't yeah. think there's anything I couldn't call you with or say to you. Or So I think kind of um, 
in my life, one of those, I think God kind of picks those friendships for you. You know, they, yeah. he does. He just kind of picks those. And um, sometimes they are for a season, for sure. I've had that uh, or for a reason um, mm-hmm. and sometimes for a lifetime. And I think yeah. ours will be lifetime. I do too. Yeah. I think authenticity has a lot to do with it too. And being sure. real and true with where you are in life. And like you said, yeah. secure, Yeah, you know. Having that. Okay, let's have some fun and dive into where the drive and the inspiration comes from for Dawn. If you were to have a 45 second infomercial about you, (laughs) about who you are and what you're about, what would it be? Ready, set, go. Okay, the first thing I'm going to (laughs) say is I have never been able to do this. (laughs) But I, I would say if you were to say the one thing it's to edify. So I believe that my calling, the great big calling, is to to lift women, to empower women, to make sure they know they're loved, like mm. crazy, stupid, amazing loved. And for me, I do that through retreats. I do that through writing books. And I hope that that just grows and grows and grows and reaches more women. But I hope that at the end of the day, I made the world a little bit better because I reminded women how amazing they are and that inside of each one of them there's this itty bitty giant who's just Mm. dying to come out and that's what I hope hope at the end of the day that my purpose has been you have spoken that to me numerous times like Mm. there's something really big in there you just have to tap into it it's true yeah it's so challenging you know but you've also said to me that there is a joy in figuring out who you are and who you are not Mm -hmm. created to be And I think when you start sharing with the world who you are and who you are not, you're also giving permission to those around you to do the same. I personally know that you are three on the Enneagram, right? And that one of your spiritual gifts is leadership. How has figuring out what you are not Mm -hmm. helped you in the business world and relating to others and to women? So I think one of the things that happens throughout our lives, I'm 53. So in our 20s, we spend a whole lot of time looking at what we're not because we do, I think, comparison at a really high level mm-hmm. the younger we are, right? Right. Um, so we spend so much time looking at the other girl, wishing we were that, trying to be that, comparing. Mm-hmm. And then as we age, this wonderful thing happens and this wisdom grows within us of kind of figuring out what we're not. And like, for instance, I am not super organized. I am not detail oriented. I am not gifted in the kitchen. Like, can I cook a decent meal? Yeah. Do I have any joy in that? No. It took me a long time to figure out I was not going to be a domestic. I think that there are people who really succeed at being highly gifted in a world of being a mom and staying home and creating things at home. Mm -hmm. And I have never been that woman. It took me a long time to say, but I do have other gifts. I'm not less of a woman because of it. And that took me a long time. So I think figuring out that you are highly gifted, every single one of us is highly gifted. It just may not look like Jane. And that's totally okay because God doesn't need another Jane. God needs you. Mm, I love that. Yeah, that's really good. I am so excited for your new book to release May 9th, and we'll chat about that one in a few, but can we first talk about your first book? Yeah, my Um, baby, always probably my my baby. And it's beautiful, by the way. Mm. The title is Laughing Through the Ugly Cry and Finding Unstoppable Joy. 
I rarely gift books to people, but this one I've gifted to probably close to 10 people. Like there's something so real and authentic about your story and how open and honest you were about the challenging times in your life. And I remember the day after you had a dream about writing this book. Could you just tell us a little bit about when you got the dream and how you knew what you had to do to share those stories? So a little background to that. So I was in Mary Kay Cosmetics at the time, and I had just had this record-breaking year. I was the number seven sales director in Mary Kay Cosmetics out of about 600,000 women. So I was really a top achiever in the company. I went to bed and I had a dream and God, and I, by the way, I want to fully acknowledge that when people say that we do sound all kinds of crazy, cuckoo-cachoo to the nth degree. I know that, but I had a dream. God said, you're going to write a book. And, and in this dream, I actually argued with God. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not a writer. And he was like, wake this, wake up, wake up, wake up, write this down, write this down. And I remember I woke up in the morning and I remembered having the dream and I thought, oh, I can't wait to see what I wrote down. Yeah, like there's going to be this supernatural, like 800 pages supernaturally got written in the middle of the night. (laughs) But the reality was it was six words on my phone, but I knew exactly what each word meant. What like one of them said lucky. So I knew that it was the chapter. If you've read the book, you know know that. Yeah. And the next day I got up and I Googled, how do you write a book? I would love to tell you I was super obedient in that you have this dream, you're so sure it's God, but because we are so human, I had that dream, so sure it was God, and then I was like, well, did I kind of do that in my own head? Was that mm-hmm. me? Was that... Oh, so doubts. I doubted so much, but I did still keep moving forward. So it, I doubted, but with movement forward. Mm-hmm. And I think that's common. Yes. I think that's what is the difference between us being human and not, right? Right. And then it took me, that was November 5th, it took me until February to resign from Mary Kay. So it took me that, that long. Being such a challenging oh, decision for you. Oh, it was so hard. Yeah. It was so hard. In fact, I had just made a decision to stay in Mary Kay, even though mm-hmm. I, I knew he was saying if you would just release, take, release us. But I had just sent a text. I was in Dallas, Texas. They had, uh, the million dollar directors had come in and we brought five people with us each. And I'd gone to the restroom and while we were in this seminar thing. And on my way back, I was sending a text to the woman I was underneath. And I was like, I'm going to do both. I'm going to do both. I'm going to figure it out. And right when I walked in the room, this lady was talking and she was telling the story about this little girl is at the store with her mom and she finds some pearls that she loves. And she says, mommy, can I please have these pearls, little toy pearls? Mm-hmm. And her mom says, yes, you can do chores and work them off. And so she has little pearls. Well, the, the child wears them every single day. You know, they just get nasty. They're gross. Oh, yeah. They're not taking them off every mm-hmm. single day. And her dad puts her to bed each night. And one night he comes in and he says, do you love me? And she says, yes, daddy, I love you. I love you. He said, will you give me your pearls? And she's, oh, no, daddy. You can have my Susie doll, but no, I love my pearls. No, daddy. Mm. So the next night comes, he comes in the room to put her to bed and he says, do you love me? Oh, yes, dad. Will you give me your pearls? No, you can have all my books, but daddy, not Mm. my pearls. Please, not my pearls. Third night he comes in and she's crying and she hands him her pearls and he hands back to her real pearls. And I knew in that moment, God was saying, if you will let go, I have 
more for you, you stubborn mule. <laughs> like, just let go. And oh, I did. That's... So, and then I, I got home on a Sunday night and I resigned on Tuesday. Mm. Mm-hmm. And what happened from there was it was crazy. I knew I finished writing. I knew that you needed to do a book proposal. I sent it to a friend of mine who was an author. And I said, is this what it's supposed to be? And she said, can I send this to my agent? who was a top literary agent out of New York. And within 24 hours, they signed me. And I felt that whole time God was saying the publisher was supposed to be Thomas Nelson, which is HarperCollins. I remember Collins. that. And, and we were all like, oh, yeah, okay, sure, Don. crazy. Uh, <laughs> sure. And within two months, Harper uh, Thomas Nelson had signed the book. Um, it just it never happens that way ever 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 it just doesn't in the book world it's a, the publishing world's a really difficult world and just by the grace of God you so know. you know that that was just all God that was and all God. you stepping forward in that obedience mm-hmm. even if it was just a yeah. that next right step or that next small step mm-hmm. and it became a bestseller and I won new I Christian know. author of the year and I mean it's just yeah that's it's crazy. It is crazy. I love telling the story because it's so evidently, obviously, a God story. You yeah. know, it's not, it wasn't me because oh, I wasn't yeah. a writer. I wasn't a, you know, it was just like, take a leap. That's and I did. so cool. Um, how do you believe that you were able to distinguish the goodness of God with the reality of all the pain and trauma that you went through that you wrote about in that book? So the book is about my, I, in my life, I have, I have lost a child. She was nine months old of a rare bacteria pneumonia. I had been raped and the man was caught and went to a full jury trial. I've had stage three triple negative breast cancer. My husband was an alcoholic. He's been more than eight years sober now. And, and my sister passed away from cancer. My mother had a brain aneurysm. So I, I've had crazy tragedies throughout life, but it was a book about joy because it wasn't that I found insane joy in the moments, Mm -hmm. um, but it was because of those things that I did find a crazy awesome faith, but I also was able to see joy at a whole whole different level. It's very different if you have a life that is pretty even keel all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to recognize what's, you know, the tsunamis of pain versus the mountaintops of joy mm-hmm. when you are staying in the middle playing field all the time. So I think God, it sounds so in a way harsh to say, especially to anyone out there who is in the tsunamis of pain, but it is a gift because there is no other place that gives you a relationship with the Lord and a, a, the conversations with God. You won't ever have those same type of conversations on mountaintops that you will in the valley mm. moments, the crying out, the crying with him, the feeling of his arms around you right. that you that you will. So it was a book about finding joy just in crazy things that came out of really bad things. Right. Wow. Okay. You were able to see the goodness of God even yeah. in those valleys. Yeah, but I, I won't, uh, I'm not going to be, I don't want to say that when my daughter died, I was seeing the goodness of God. No, you know in what that I mean? moment, at all. Sure. No, no, not at all. That was really, really mm-hmm. hard even to this day to talk about. Sure. And and honestly, I never, I never talk about this. But when, the first time I think I ever heard God, in, this is hard to talk about, in my life was ju- when, God, I've never talked about this, <laughs> was when I was raped. And mm. in that moment, uh, he'd broken in my home and, and I was forced to get on my hands and knees. And in that moment, my fingers were, you know, entwined together in a praying position, crying out to him. And I just heard him say, you are going to be okay. You, mm. I have you. You are going to be okay. And that was the first time I ever heard God. Really? And I didn't have a deep relationship with the Lord at that moment in my life. And mm-hmm. I, it definitely grew, but yeah, not then. Wow. Mm. So you say that 
joy is a focus and it brings about a feeling, an on-purpose behavior. So do you have any steps or tips that you walk through to put this into practice? I would say that I fight fiercely to maintain a joyful mental position in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think I do that because I have always struggled with depression. So mm-hmm. I've stayed very, very conscious of where I am mentally and how my surroundings and moments in life affect me mentally. And if it has affected me mentally, how do I get back to a positive headspace? Mm-hmm. So it started, I would say years ago, I started doing this dorky thing. Ooh, making, do tell. <laughs> uh, yeah. Making a list of positive and negative triggers. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, I did both, but now I don't even focus, I don't focus on negative triggers. I focus on positive mm-hmm. and I just keep this running list of all the things that bring me joy. And sometimes it's a color. Sometimes it's a moment. Sometimes it's candles, baths, rainy days on a porch. Mm. You know, I just started like being conscious of things that make me go, oh, I love that. That make you like, happy. Oh, yeah. I love that. I am more joyful when I am also in a deeper relationship with the Lord. And I would be a big fat liar if I told you I was so good about doing that every day of my life. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I want to be. I want to be the girl that just, I'm lost in it for an hour and a half every day. I've just lost in his word. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes the day gets away from me. And, you know, the the most I'm doing is reading scripture, you know, one thing of scripture on the daily text, you know. Um, But I will say... I am more joyful when I am in deep relationship with him than when I am not. Hands down, more joyful. Mm, that's good. Music. Music is huge for me, too. Oh, music is so huge it's for me. It's so huge. Hello. Um, so your new book, Midlife Battle Cry, comes out May 9th. It does. Where are we right now? May 1st. It's coming. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's so exciting. Okay, so it came from you turning 50 and going now like where did I go what now was there something that happened to you that made you question your next step in this quote-unquote midlife Mm -hmm. that society calls midlife Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what happened so what happened what happened was (laughs) I had just finished that first book Mm -hmm. and there's this waiting period between manuscript being finished and book coming out for me it was uh, like 18 months. It feels like 837 years. Um, and in that, we moved from Gulf Breeze out to Cantonment, which is about 20 miles north. Mm-hmm. And we moved out to a property with 23 acres, and we were both the sole children to our parents. So we wanted to bring all of our family together. So my parents live there. My mother-in-law lives in the house with us, with our 16-year-old and my husband and I. And I immediately, because my mother-in-law got sick right away, I stepped into this caretaking role. Mm -hmm. So I was done writing the book. I was kind of in this waiting period. And then I stepped into this role of caring for um, Rosalie, my mother-in-law. And I am not naturally gifted. I have seen people that are naturally gifted in Mm -hmm. that. And it's a beautiful sight to behold through cancer, through all that. It's, you know, nurses are naturally gifted. You know, most nurses are. Um, I am not. And it was... I remember going outside and crying out to God, like, did you forget me? Like all the Mm. gifts you gave me. And now I'm wiping someone's bottom that I, and I also want to say my mother-in-law, I had probably met her and been in person with her seven times in my life. Like, I didn't hardly know her. So can you imagine that? And you were full-time. And I was full-time caring (gasps) for her. And 
she, and, and just on the flip side of that, she didn't know me and here I am, you right. know, doing that to her to, you know, sure. that she has dignity as well. And it, it was hard all the way around. And so I was so frustrated. I was so, I kept, kept saying to myself, you wrote a chapter saying it was titled, you get to, you get to, <laughs> I can't say that to myself. You wrote a chapter about this. Oh. Um, and it was so hard. And all I kept hearing God say was, uh, be still, be still, mm. be still. And I remember specifically walking around our property, around the edge of our property to go around the edges a mile. And I was like, you made me. How can you possibly tell me to be still? If you know my inner workings, then how could I possibly be still? You're not even talking to me. Have you forgotten me? So I was having a big old pity party. Uh-huh. I was feeling forgotten. I was feeling like my gifts weren't used anymore. And and I don't think it's just in, indicative of when we're in our 50s. I also think this happens when we have little ones mm. where we lose identity and totally. sense of self. So I think it happens then and it also happens in that 50-ish, mm. late 40s thing um, when our roles in our life change. So I think mm-hmm. it's any time your roles in your life dramatically change we have a little bit of an identity shift and it's a pivot point in life so I think we call it this midlife crisis but it really should just be called the the you know pivot point number three or pivot point number four or Uh um but for me I just felt invisible I felt like a racehorse who'd been put out to pasture that I wasn't needed anymore Mm. and and I fought really hard to pull myself out of it, mm-hmm. uh, which started with this journey of, okay, who the heck am I today? Not in my 20s, right. but who am I now? And that started with, what color do you like to wear? So asking that as simple. simple as I, that. Sim- I had lost even that, like, I don't even know what color clothes I love. I know what color clothes I throw on that are my yoga wear that never goes to yoga. Right. But I don't know what, like, and for me, it was coral. I used to love coral. And so... But my closet had become all black and gray and white and just this sad, you know, Morticia Adams sort of Mm. closet. And then I was like, okay, what color do I like in my house? What fragrances do I like? What fragrances do I like in candles? What fragrances do I like on my body? What I went down the deepest dive of when was the last time I bought a new pair of panties? Well, you know, my bra, I was wearing maternity wear. My child was 15 years old, you know, like it was bad. So it was just this, like, I liken it to, you know, back when you were dating and you wanted to know everything about them. Yeah. What's their favorite candy? Uh-huh. What's their, I felt like I had to date me again oh, yeah. and fall back in love with me. And Mm. so that spurred, that was the beginnings of a book. That is so cool. Wow. Why, why do you think that society tells us that once we reach middle age, whatever that is, that it's downhill from there? And why do you think we choose to believe that lie? You know, like, why do we always have to associate midlife with crisis? Like Mm -hmm. you said. Yeah. So I don't think midlife is a number. In fact, the publisher did a, um, survey and it came back that people said midlife was 37 to 65 which I thought was hilarious mostly because I thought I don't that 37 year old is also obviously having a really bad day (laughs) yeah (laughs) she Uh needs a hug but we have this sort of invisible thing in our minds like I imagine it to this you know like a hill and at the top of the mountain or the hill is midlife and then from there it's downhill but if you if you think about and I know you're you're quite a bit younger than I am but if you think they just did a Sex in the City reboot, mm-hmm. of the, which is awful, but um, <laughs> broke my heart. But um, at the same, the age of those women was the same age as that show, The Golden Girls. Really? So that's the difference of, of how Hollywood depicts what 50s was then, what 
fifties was today. So mm. there is a really big shift. Like the women in on friends, yeah. they're all my age and older. So wow. I know. So we are not it is starting to really shift on what we used to believe 50 was. Like Saturday Night Live had this skit. I can't remember what she said her name was, but she came out going, I'm 50 years old and I kick. And it's this goofy <laughs> skit, but it was making fun of somebody being 50. Like it was really, really old. Yeah. Um, but we're not. We first of all, so I want to say number one, it is changing what we're thinking. That is right. But there is this mental block that we believe things are downhill. We believe that there's this invisible line in our life. And to the left of that line is all of God's miracles. So it's our babies, our career, our, our you know, marriage, our mm-hmm. all the, the fun, exciting, yeah. wonderful things of life. And we, you know, consciously or subconsciously believe that to the right of that line, there may be a few miracles, but the most of them have been dished have out. Have already happened. Yeah. But what a... I think that's such. Oh, an, that's so limiting. It's like, such an insult to God too. Is He a right. God that that actually looks at? Oh, I already gave you. Oh, you got twenty six miracles. You've only got four <laughs> left. You know, He isn't. But there is a very different thing about living life expecting of miracles for the rest of your life versus I had all the miracles. When you have that mm. mindset, I've already had all the miracles. You start to pull back. Yeah. And you start to not live full out. And he doesn't call us. He doesn't look at you and go, oh, you're oh, you're 53. Okay, well, take a number, sit over there, watch some Netflix. I'll call you when your time's up. Thanks for coming. <laughs> he calls us to go all, it doesn't speak of retirement anywhere in the Bible. Mm-hmm. He calls us to be a light and to run full out all the way till you be dead. Right. Like, so why we pull back at any age that you are. Mm-hmm. you are the best you've ever been. So you know more, you have done more, you've experienced more, you've learned more, you have more wisdom than ever before. Your body may have changed, mm-hmm. but who you are inside is the best you have ever been. So why would you ever pull back when you're just getting better and better and better? Mm. And we do that though, especially as women. Men don't, we do. Isn't that crazy? It's, yeah. It's Something wild. that one of the mentors this past weekend at the retreat said stuck with me. She was talking about how someone in her family passed away at the age of 23 mm. and how that person never once thought that at 11 and a half that that would be their midlife or that when her grandfather passed away at 65, that 32 and a half would be their midlife or when her grandmother passed away at 92, that 46 was their midlife. There was something about that that put into perspective for me, like, what do you, what would you do if you knew that this was your last day or your last year or your last 20 years? You know, I feel like we should take time to evaluate the kind of legacy that we that we want to live and like, how would, how do we want people to remember us? Like what you said, mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. you want to be known as someone who has empowered and lifted up women. And like what, what kind of memories do we want to look back on when time is ticking down? It doesn't have to be like grand or glorious, but maybe it was just that you want to make people feel happy or secure or mm-hmm, safe. Mm-hmm. Like I, that seeing that into perspective, it's like, oh my gosh. I mean, we don't know when we're going to die. Right, right. We don't know when our last day is. So why would we not want to live every single day like it's our last? Yeah, and that's so think... cliche. You know, people use that all the time. Like, live today like it's your last. But Well, and 
maybe it's more like, I, I don't think, that's what I said, I, I don't think uh, midlife is a number. I think it is a when you're in the pivot point seasons of life mm-hmm. and you know that, I feel like it's when God is taking you by the shoulders and saying, pay attention, pay attention. Like, mm. this is it. This is now. Like, come on. Yeah, and I've got something big for yeah, you. Yeah, I've got something, but I need you to step out of this. And mm. when we start pulling back, feeling like the world doesn't need what we have to say, I think the enemy would love for us to stay in that place, right? Because oh, yes. you bring so much to the table. You have so much, and you can help so many people. Mm-hmm. Sometimes sometimes it isn't about, actually, most of the time it's not about having a microphone and standing on the stage. Most of the time it's about having the influence of somebody in your in your circle. I just read a book, and she talked about your, your calling. It doesn't mean that your calling is, uh, like for me, I believe my calling is working with women, and I do things that actually relate to that. But let's say your, your, your calling is also lifting women up, but that you work at a car dealership doesn't mean that you're going to have less of an impact mm-hmm. with working with women because you're working at a car dealership, right? I mean, right. you just you use that calling in every way you can, right. breathing belief into the women. It just looks differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when we pull back because we feel like we have nothing to offer, I think that's a shame. I do too. I something else that you said at the end of this at the retreat was also a great perspective of living in your moment. You said to the effect, and maybe you can speak on it more eloquently than I can, <laughs> but that we will never have this moment mm-hmm. back with these people that mm-hmm. you're doing life with on a day like today ever again. We may all get back together in the future. But this moment will never happen again. Right. Like the perspective of putting that into your mind every day mm-hmm. can change the way that you view the small moments in life. You know, mm-hmm. even the mundane or the monotony of everyday life. Uh, that was super eye-opening to me. And it was such a, I mean, a simple statement. It's because but, somebody once said it to me mm. and I never forgot it. And so that's why. It, it was I'm that life changing to me on. and I passed it on. Yeah. I didn't make that up. I don't think I've ever had an original thought in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I love you. Talk about authentic. Um, so do you have any advice to someone who may be in that flailing season or that pivot season, like you said, of trying to figure out who they are? What are some, what's some advice that you would want to share? Well, first I would, I would say don't live your life as a spectator of life, live your life as a participant of life. You know, there's a very big difference and fiercely fight to rescue yourself. So if if you're feeling lost, go back to the basics. Uh, The book actually has like 21 days to I love me. I did one of the chapters on that, but go back to finding who you are. The thing is, Sometimes we think that the change has to happen in our job or if only this would change that they, we look at the out, the external things of, you know, health, job, finances, all those kind of things. But the reality is if you are not whole, if you do not tackle you first, mm-hmm. none of those things, your, your perspective on all of those things change dramatically when you are in a better place, right? If you're, if you're say feeling really depressed and having a hard time emotionally, everything seems very gloom and doom, right? right? Everything. Mm -hmm. But when you are in a very happy, good place, all of those things seem possible. You know, it's a whole different perspective. Perspective. And so I always say, and that's why I, I said I was hesitant to have an entrepreneur retreat because it doesn't matter what her business is. What we do at a normal retreat is to really handle the whole of a woman, right? Mm-hmm. But in the entrepreneur was a piece of the woman. It was her business. Right. But the the 
so I kept saying it, it doesn't matter what her business is if she herself isn't whole. And mm, so yeah. that was a little bit of my hesitation. It was a great retreat, you know, admittedly, but, um, I think we just, there's so much that we carry. There's so much, um, heaviness. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I want to live a lifetime helping women take some of that stuff they carry off. Be able to release that. Be able to release it and love themselves more. Mm. Okay. We've been on a serious trend so far, but I have to share a little bit of the side of you that I know you're seriously one of the funniest people that I've ever met. <laughs> like really. And I was reading through the new book. And by the way, the titles of your chapters are genius. I mean, they always have been. I do think they're really funny. They're so they good. They really cracked me up. They yeah. really did. Uh-huh. So when I was reading the chapter, hello, young grasshopper uh-huh. in the new book, I thought I was going to pee my pants. <laughs> and I read about an old fling that you had, uh-huh. Lee. Uh-huh. Will you please share that story with everyone so they can laugh the way that I do? So it, that is not his real name. And, oh, okay. 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 Um, I, I think I do say that in the chapter. It's not his real name. Uh-huh. I was protecting uh-huh. the innocent. Um, because I actually still know him to this day. To, to, yeah, I do still okay. know him to this day. And um, the <laughs> I, I was in my 20s and we lived... I don't want to give too much away because not uh-huh. that anyone cares at all, but we live very far apart. We lived very far apart. And um, he came in town for an event and we fell madly in love as much as mm. two 27 year olds can possibly fall in love, you okay. know, yeah. which at that age is everything, right? Yes. yes. So you knew but everything. You knew mm-hmm. everything. And he was everything. And, um, one day we were laying down and we were kissing. I know, brace yourself. Yes, I was making out with a guy. And I was on, we were both kind of on our side and I rolled to my back. And he was still on his side kind of gazing upon my loving beauty, right? Because at 27, you're beautiful. Actually, at every age, you're beautiful. But you're tighter at 27. Okay, so uh, he's looking down at me and just like gazing at me like, oh. he, he's just, he is soaking me up with his eyes. And he kind of glances downward a little bit and he take pulls his hand up and he to, to line it like to flick something away, kind of about two inches down from my collarbone on my left side. And he brings his hand up but to just sweep it away. And he kind of gets a little disturbed look on his face, like, oh, it's not moving. And then I could see him like grab his fingers to pinch to grab it. And when he does, I'm like, ow. <laughs> And then he's like really perplexed, like, oh my gosh, this great big long hair is actually attached to her. (laughs) And I, praise God, had, I just burst out laughing because it would have been so bad had it gone the other direction of pure shame running out of a room. But I know his face was just like, oh dear Lord, how is something so long attached to you? And it was the the beginning. Uh, We didn't last. We didn't. uh, I'm not, I'm sure you guys are not surprised we didn't make it. But yeah, and it was the beginning of realizing there were going to be a lot of stray hairs growing in really weird places. <laughs> Mostly now, like my chin and my upper lip, there's uh-huh. like a full goatee that's going on. Ladies, I, I think y'all are probably a little younger who listen to this podcast. It's a coming, sis. Like, get ready. And you're never going to notice it unless you are in a car on your way to an event and you don't have tweezers. That, that's always. when you're really going to notice it. And, and you won't be able to get, do anything with that sucker. So just brace yourself. It's a coming. I love it. I think there's 
something to not taking everything so seriously. Absolutely. Like yeah. to is such good practice. This um would be a really great example of yeah. that. I just love that. Okay. Dawn, you are so great at pouring into other people. So I wanted to speak out some qualities Aww. about you <laughs> that have made an impact on me. Aww. Oh my gosh. We're all about to listen to a cry fest. Shoot. You're welcome. To say that you are light is an understatement. When you come into contact with people, with other people, they immediately feel lighter, more powerful, and inspired. The authenticity that comes from you is unlike any I've ever seen in another person who has gone through the trials that you've been through. You let everyone see the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you still find a way to point people back to joy, which is such a gift in this world to people. Mm. This world is such a dark place, and you creating joy and empowering people to do the same is such a needed gift. I'm learning as I get older that I gravitate towards women who are strong because they've been broken. Mm -hmm. They are the ones that have a story to tell and truly know who they are because that story has shaped them. The ones who will literally run to you whenever you need them. And you are one of those people. For me, I will be eternally grateful always for your friendship. So thank you for that. <laughs> oh, I love you. Oh, there's that. The scripture that this podcast came from is in Ezekiel. It's Ezekiel 20, 47. This is what the Lord says. I am about to ignite a fire in you and it will devour every green tree and every dry tree in you. The blazing flame will not be distinguished and every face from the north to the south will be scorched by it. I believe you are the epitome of this scripture. He has mm -hmm. lit a fire in you and you are igniting that flame of passion and encouragement and love to so many. Thank you for being obedient to what he has called you to. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I am like biting my tongue, trying not to cry. So lastly, this, uh, I ask this to all my guests on the podcast. So to finish up today, what is one thing that a person has said or done for you that you believe changed the trajectory of your life? Oh my gosh. It's a good one. It is a really good one. I don't know that I have a, the one thing. I have a million things that people have said. Mm -hmm. And that's probably because God knows how stubborn I am and just hard headed. I do need to hear things about 50 million times. <laughs> I can, I don't know that it was a moment that changed the trajectory of my life, but it was when I was coming to know the Lord a little more, God put Wendy Presley, who mm -hmm. you know, in my life. And Wendy made this comment and she said something about being, uh, she said, no, because I will always be a woman of my word. And I am so embarrassed to say that at that point in my life, which I was probably 40, mm -hmm. okay. I'd never heard someone speak that, to be a woman of your word, that if you said you're going to do it, you're going to do it, that mm. people know that you are a woman of your word. You are who you say you are. And I remember thinking, I want to be a woman of my word. Mm. And I never forgot that moment. I didn't understand totally what it meant, right. but I loved who she was mm -hmm. and she was just the light of Jesus. And I knew that I wanted to be that. So I want to be a woman of my word. To create so, that trust. To create it. But also and just somebody who, there's so many people out there who just aren't, 
They say they'll do something, but they won't. Mm -hmm. They say, and it isn't even just in the saying of who they are. It's also in the, I want to be a person. If I say I'm a Christian woman, I want to be a Christian woman, right? Right. The good things, you know, like I always think back to, (laughs) I feel like Jesus looks at us sometimes and goes, I told you, like I gave y'all one thing, one thing. I just told (laughs) y'all to love each other. How did you get the one thing so wrong? Love each other. Just love each other. I hope that as a Christian woman, I am the love each other kind of woman. I uh, definitely think you, so. are. Oh, you are. Sometimes. Well, I mean, we are human. <laughs> you you are. So thank you so, so much again for joining us. I am so excited to see how your retreats and all of your many, many, many books that you're going <laughs> to write are going to make an impact on this world. Will you tell everyone where they can get your new books? Absolutely. Or your books, period. Yeah. yeah. Um, anywhere books are sold, I'm happy to say. So Amazon, Yay. Barnes & Noble, Target, any anywhere. You can uh, find me on social media, Instagram, Dawn R. Barton. And I am not cool enough to have anyone answering my messages. So it really is just me. And, <laughs> I love uh, that. I and love Facebook it. is also Dawn R. Barton. So uh, and Dawn Midlife Barton. Battle Cry yeah. by Dawn Barton. Yeah. Go get it. Thank you so much for joining Thank you me. for having me. I could sit here for 10 more hours and talk. We well, let's so just much. continue. We'll do that. But we'll say goodbye to you guys. (laughs) All right. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you have been enjoying our episodes and you would like to help support the podcast, please share the episodes with others. Make sure to follow or subscribe wherever you listen and leave a rating or review. It means the world to me. To catch up on all the latest from me, you can follow me on Ignite Impact Podcast on Facebook and sign up for my weekly newsletter at igniteimpactpodcast.com. Thanks again, and until next time.